You're listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. And whilst every time I engaged in the practices of my old self, which I'm going to be perfectly honest, I did, they felt empty. You know, there was an emptiness to it. So what once was this great experience now just left me feeling empty. Now, here's your hosts, Tim and Dez. Well, welcome once again to this week's Momentum. Uh, Tim and Dez back with you and wherever you are around Australia. Hey, really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us uh, this week. MomentumAustralia.org is our website. And uh, don't do this right now, but after this week's show, maybe go back and have a listen to uh, the chat from last week and it'll put this week's show into context for you because we're going to get the same guy back on. But Des, it is great to have you here, man. How are you to, uh, this week? Are you good? Yes, I'm really good. Thank you. You know, just one of the things I want to mention is the fact that we have a new support line for men uh, and it's a Momentum Care Line and it's one 800 men which is one 800 000 636. The service is provided by our friends at Caroline Connections. And if you want to contact them, they're at carolineconnections.org.au. So you can reach out and get help seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. 1-800-000-N. Awesome stuff. Thanks, Des. Hey, you know, I guess this week is uh, Bobby Aitken. And Bobby is a continuous improvement specialist. He's also a certified John Maxwell coach, teacher, speaker, he is passionate about developing capability in people through training, coaching, mentoring to benefit them and the organizations that they work with. He also has a huge heart and desire for unity amongst the church at large. And, you know, last week we heard the story of Bobby's upbringing, which uh, was uh, obviously back in Scotland. You hear his accent. But, uh, you know, this was uh, a slow progression into marijuana and then some harder drugs. And we're going to pick up the story, Bobby. Uh, around 1994, at this stage, I think you'd started taking speed and you were starting to accelerate into harder drugs. But we're going to pick the story up here before we get into the transformation piece of you're at a party at a friend's house and there was a drug raid and things started to go south for you from there. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Okay, so first of all, the party happened. The party went by, effectively, as we were concerned, uneventful. We all partied hard. We had a long weekend of taking drugs. As I mentioned, it was the first time I tried speed. Um, however, in the days following the party, the guy who hosted the party, his dad found traces of drugs left in the house, and he called the police. So what was interesting was they decided or the guy who hosted the party, decided that he was going to pick me as the patsy to blame for all the drugs. Oh, wow. When, which, is, which is a complete turn of a, and a 180 on the truth of what actually happened. But yeah. I ended up with the drug squad who came and raided my house, went into my bedroom, went through, took photographs, turned the place upside down, all of this kind of stuff. And, yeah, looking for evidence that I was the drug dealer that I'd been painted to be, which, ironically, at this point in time, um, and this is, this is where, when you, when you stand where, from where you are looking back in past, mm. you begin to see that God's hand was on my life, even in those circumstances. Yeah. Because in the lead up to this, I had been dealing dope, right? I'd been selling dope to friends and all this mm. kind of stuff. I'd never, I'd never sold or dealt in anything harder than dope. At this point, I had very little experience of drugs harder than dope at this point. And what, what actually happened was the police raided my bedroom at a period in time where I was not involved in dealing at all. Mm. And so there was no evidence for them to find. 
I hadn't, I, there was, I didn't even have any dope lying around in my bedroom at this point in time. Wow. So they came up completely empty handed. Um, of course, my parents didn't really care that they came up empty handed <laughs> because I came home. I, I'd actually been out. Um, and that very night I'd been out and I'd been confronted by one of the people who had been dealing drugs in and around that party because the word had got out that apparently I had gone to the police. Oh, oh! there was a whole load of stories going out. So it wasn't just that the police came to my house. There was a whole load of lies that were spread about uh. me apparently going to the police and telling the police everything. Uh. Um, so, which was again, a bunch of lies that were spread to counteract the truth of the fact that there was one person who was involved in the dealing and had gone to the police and all these kind of things and was trying to make sure nobody looked at him. Um, so yeah, I, I was pinned against the wall by a few different people over the next few days. Fortunately, all of them looked into my eyes as they did it, and they all realized that it was a lie because they could see in my face that they, it just wasn't true, which, which had this really interesting spin in that these people now trusted me. An interesting side effect. So I now, I, I now have the trust and I now have a connection with people, some of whom I never really had a connection with. Yeah. And ironically, as the police were raiding my house, I was around at another house and friend's house getting stoned. So uh. <laughs> I, I got home in quite a stoned state to find the bedroom had been turned upside down. I explode in fury because I'm like, who the hell's been in my bedroom? What the hell have you done? Walked through to confront my folks and kind of, I, I thought my brother had done it. And so I'm going looking for my brother, make sure that he's accountable. And my mom says, you better stop right where you are and explain that it was the drug squad that had turned my bedroom upside down. Wow. So tell me about that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Let's just say that um, uh, you go from being angry to being kind of shocked and terrified of what comes next because yes. it's a, it's a new experience. It's something that was completely unexpected. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't something that I was thinking this is what's going to happen. All that kind of stuff, but you never expect it to be you. Mm, did you did you blurt out like did you confess to your mum then at that stage like obviously they'd suspected for a long time but did you actually make a confession to her at that stage about what had been happening look so i told my mum that yes i'd been at the party and that yes i'd taken drugs but i absolutely told her that i had not dealt them and i'd never had and, and this was completely honest at this point in time i'd never had those drugs before that party hmm. wow um as it turned out because the police found no evidence they never actually interviewed me personally. Oh, right. So they went through the house. They basically left a list of questions, which I was to answer. My dad took the answers to those questions to the police, and I never actually had to go to the police station myself at all, um, which was which was a bit of a turnaround, which, in I mean, I, I don't know why they chose that. I, I presume that they found zero evidence and may, must have assumed that this wasn't the truth or whatever else. Mm. Um, but yeah, either way, I never actually ended up in the police station at that point in time. That's interesting. You know, you, you've gone through from dope into, you know, speed. Um, and then you obviously tried stronger drugs. But one of the comments you made before we went to air was uh, that you thank God that you had a fear of needles. And that's, and that's amazing, actually. Yeah, I am a clean skin. I have no tattoos. I have no piercings. And at no point was I tempted to stick a needle in my vein. Yeah. Mm. 
Because that, mm. that, I mean, I guess heroin is a prime example of one that you would use. Yeah, look, and I mean, I've, I've heard of and um, know of that cocaine, speed, people have tried to inject all of these different oh, things really? in different okay. ways. And so, yeah, look, I, I genuinely thank God that that was not not something that was ever a temptation for me because I've, I've heard horror stories. In fact, the... The youth pastor that led me to Christ was a former heroin addict. Wow. And so I I have got experience of talking to people who've become addicted to that and and knowing I've read the research about how much more addictive some of these things really are. Mm. And I wonder, I mean, we, we talk about the fact that um and I, I just mentioned that you look back and see God having his hand on your life. But I wonder if if I'd ever taken that step into that space, would I have ever got made it out? Bobby, let's go back to the road for a moment. I mean, surely that that must have been a wake up call for you. Uh, w- were you nervous? Did you suddenly then decide that you needed to get out of the whole drug scene completely? I mean, obviously not, because four years later, things did break down further. But tell us about how that affected you, and um, and and the relationship with your family. Look, I think if I'm perfectly honest, it was more of a speed bump than it was a major problem, right? Because okay. I didn't get caught. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I kind of laughed it off. And as I said, it actually connected me to people I'd never been connected to before, yeah. who then began to trust me, connections, everything else. So um, like a lot of things in my life, I turned something that was potentially a problem into an opportunity <laughs> and used my new connections to start actually accessing and doing the very thing that I've been accused of that I wasn't guilty of at the time. Right. Wow. Um, my, obviously, my relationship with my family, it was now quite well known that I was connected to drugs. And whilst there was no direct dialogue taking place on a daily basis about my drug use, it was it was now kind of out of the bottle. You know what I mean? The, it was, mm. it was, they knew. And whilst I could, I could from time to time lie about whether or not I was actually taking drugs at that point in time, it was now something that was known about me. Bobby, you say by about 1998, Christmas time, your relationship with your family broke down. You were staying on a mattress on a, uh, a mate's floor in a council house. Um, and that Christmas, you, you didn't, well, your family basically said to you, I think it was your brother, basically said to you, stay away from the family this Christmas. Um, tell us a bit about that, how that made you feel. You, I think you went home and got high instead of doing that, I suppose, to numb the pain. But tell us a bit about what was your drug use in at that time? And then we're going to get into the transformation piece. But tell us a bit about that Christmas. Yeah, look, so at that point, I had, again, uh, the the friends I had, I had great friends that would support. And so I, my family relationship broke down. And within 30 minutes of me leaving the house, I had somebody offer to let me stay with them. Mm. Hmm. Well, wow. again, you talk about, there's all these different dimensions to it, right? So I, I was in there, I, um, I had a spare room in this um, council house, which was basically a mattress on the floor, as I say. That Christmas coming up, by that Christmas, Christmas time was always major party season. So the we were taking drugs almost every night. Um, either that or we going out and getting drunk. If we weren't doing that, we were sitting at home getting really stoned. Okay. Um, the house that we were living in, me and the guy we were living with, we basically had parties. So when the pubs shut almost every night, 
people were coming back to our place and we party till three, whatever else. Um, I was working in a job. I was just working as a delivery driver at the time. And it, it wasn't going anywhere. My relationship with my family had broken down to the point where I wasn't speaking to any of them, which in a small town that I grew up in is actually quite, quite a feat of avoidance. Yes. Mm. It's not just that you don't speak to them. It actually takes some effort to make sure that you aren't in the same space that they could potentially be in, yes. especially yes. as my, my mom at that point in time ran a business right in the heart of the town. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting place, but yeah, that Christmas, the only contact I had with my family was my brother turning up my doorstep, dropping off some presents and saying the best thing you can do for all of us is just not come back. Wow. How did that make you feel? Well, look, um, I, I think I mentioned a few times through this and the previous discussion, one of the things that drove me into the, a lot of these spaces was loneliness. And yeah. whilst my um, housemate said, look, you come down and have Christmas with us, you come. I I actually felt so low that I couldn't even do that. Now, mm. I had an open invitation to go and be part of somebody else's family Christmas celebration. But I, yeah. I to be honest, I just sat there and got as high as I could possibly get to take away the numbness and the pain wow. of the fact that, yeah, I felt like I was alone and unwanted. Wow. A few days later, there's a huge turning point in your life. And we're going to take a short break <laughs> and tease the fact that we're going to get into that on the other side of this break. This is where the transformation comes. And this is a real turnaround in the story. Encourage you to stay tuned for that on the other side of this break. We're speaking with Bobby Aitken on this week's Momentum transformation stories on the other side of this break stay tuned you're listening to momentum a show that helps men succeed in life find out more at momentumaustralia.org thanks for hanging around thanks for tuning back in it is momentum with tim and days and our special guest is bobby aitkin and uh, we're at christmas 1998 in bobby's story he's uh, basically been told by his family that he's not welcome and so of course he spends the rest of the day getting high which was typical at that stage to numb the pain. But uh, Bobby, a couple of days later, you had an absolutely life-changing conversation with your uncle, which changed the trajectory of your life. So let's start there and tell us a bit about this meeting that you had with your uncle back then. Yeah, look, so going back, I just kind of frame it so people understand why, why the impact of this event. Growing up, my uncle left Scotland back when he finished university went and traveled the world. He was one of those that was in Europe when the offer went out for the 10 pound palm type thing. He, he decided he had actually had, the story goes, he had enough money to get back to the UK or to get to Australia. And he decided to go to Australia. Mm -hmm. And that was where he settled and met his wife, grew his family. Obviously in that day and age, when I was younger, there wasn't Skype, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't any of these technologies that make it so easy for us to communicate over long distance these days. So he was, um, growing up, he was always this person we knew of, yeah. but didn't know, if yes. that makes sense. Yes, it does. At one point he came over, I must have been about 10 or 12 or somewhere like that. Um, he'd come over and visited and I got to meet him. But again, he was someone I knew of, but didn't really know. Well, as it turned out in 1998, he had come to visit once again and brought his family and things like that. And so he he was um, he was at the time he was a QC in Perth, 
Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. He died last year. But um, at the time, he was a QC, but he was also a pastor of a local church, a house church in the hills of Perth. And he came over and basically he sent me a message that said, I'm only here for a short space of time. I haven't seen you in years. Would you please come to a dinner that we're going to? Because uh, I just like to have a chat, say hello yeah. and see my nephew. Um, and so despite all the other bits and pieces, I was always brought up to show respect yes. and things like that. And so for me, there was... There was an element of, look, it's utterly disrespectful for me to say no. Yeah. Um, I did put some conditions down on the meeting because the meeting was being held at a neutral venue, which made it easier. But I also knew that my parents would be at this same venue. But we have a huge family. Okay. Mm. So there was loads of cousins and everything else. And I said, look, my only agreement is that nobody tries to force me to speak to my mom and dad. If you don't do that, and then I'll come along, we can have a chat and uh, I'll have dinner and then I'll go home. And that's, that's effectively where it started. However, when I came and sat down with him, he presented me with the opportunity. He said, look, I hear things aren't going so well. And he didn't go into detail, but he, he had obviously been told what was going on. My mom was quite upset about the whole situation. And he said to me, what about coming and spending some time in Australia? The twist on this whole story becomes that all my life, ever since I was little, I'd had a dream of a place with golden beaches and wonderful sunshine. And growing up in the UK, that sounds like a fantasy. Yes. yes. <laughs> but while there's some beautiful beaches in the UK, it doesn't usually come with golden sunshine. No, that's right. <laughs> you tend to get one or the other, right? They yeah, don't tend to right. come together very often. <laughs> And so the, the hilarious thing is the only time I ever really realized that where I was dreaming of might be a real place was when Home and Away and Neighbors came on the TV in mm. the UK. Wow. Because all of a sudden, some of the things that I'd been dreaming for years were now real live pictures right in front of me. And I began to associate my dreams with an actual physical location. Hmm. And here I was being presented with the opportunity to go to the place literally of my dreams. So you, so you went immediately and got a visa and decided that's where I'm going. Well, look, the, the decision to accept the offer was if almost immediate, yeah. right? I just knew, even though I wasn't a Christian at this point, I just had something in me knew this was the right thing to do. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Effectively, the deal that was struck was, in order to, because I couldn't finance a ticket to Australia, mm. I couldn't finance a trip, you need X amount of dollars in your bank account yes. to be able to come as a visitor, all these types of things, which I'm sure many people would know. Um, the deal was my parents would help finance it if I agreed to come home and help repair the relationship with them before I went, which is what I did. Wow. How, how did that work? Did, did, was that easy no, to well, do? I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend it was easy, but... It's, it's like everything it, it bit by bit there was some tough conversations there were tears there was still shouting and all these different bits and pieces but it got to the point where by the time i left which was almost six months later um it, it was done very amicably and with love rather than see you later yeah mm. yeah 
Were you still doing drugs at this stage, Bobby? Oh, yes, they didn't stop. So June, thereabouts, um, 1999, I think it was, you, you're in Australia, you first landed. Um, invariably, your uncle would have probably met you off the plane. Tell us a bit about the first few weeks and months in Australia. I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, again, before you left, you hadn't quit drugs. So tell us a bit about the first few weeks here in Australia for you? Well, in, in fact, uh, because the last few weeks in Scotland were spent partying really hard. <laughs> I was celebrating the fact I was going to Australia. So I arrive in Australia. Um, I, I actually went to another uncle's place for a little while, spent a couple of weeks with them, and then went up the hill to stay with my other uncle. Um, it was acclimatizing to being in Australia. Um, I actually found contacts where I could have got drugs within days of arriving in Australia. Wow. Hmm. Um, particularly marijuana. It's, it's actually really not difficult to do that in most places that you go. If you know what you're looking for, mm. you know, the signs you can pretty much get, you can find it quite easily. Um, a lot easier than a lot of people think. Um, so I, I did have, some drugs after I arrived in Australia, but very limited. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I consciously, I think part of me knew this was this was an opportunity for a new start. And if I didn't embrace the opportunity, I would never know if there was something else. Mm. Part of the opportunity ar arose with a guy who turns out, and you mentioned him before. I think um, he was a pastor and a former drug addict. And he was the guy that I think ended up leading you to Christ. So tell us a bit about that meeting and that, that journey for you and what he imparted into your life that made a difference to you. So I, I mentioned my uncle John before, and he, as I said, was leading a church. He had a youth pastor working in the church at the time, a guy by the name of Warren Harvey. And he had been through Teen Challenge. And okay. basically, we met. I didn't have anything to fill my days with. So Warren would come up, pick me up, and take me off and do things. And we'd go out, do bits and pieces, travel about. And he would just constantly talk to me. Mm. And the interesting thing was he knew what he, he knew and he understood the journey. Yeah, I mean, he hadn't exactly been on my journey. His journey had been somewhat different. But there is a lot of commonality. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was, just, he would just talk to me. And again, I was brought to show respect. So I'm staying in my uncle's house. My uncle runs a church on a Sunday. So when they all got ready and went to church, I went with them. You know, yeah. I was determined I was going to sit at the back and uh, just tolerate it until such time as I could go home and eat food. <laughs> it, it was this really interesting dynamic where the group of people that were now in my orbit 24 seven weren't just people who attended church. They kind of, it, it was their life. Wow. Mm. You know, so they would gather, they would do life together. They would go off, they would do things, but it, it was, it was all the time. Yes. The Sunday service was only one day a week, but church was all the time. And that's a great message in itself, isn't it? Yeah, in terms of creating community in the church sense. Hmm. Yeah, look, it was it was fantastic, and they had an outreach, uh, what they call like an outreach building that, that a lot of the during the week operations would take place, and the services were held in the scout hall, and yeah, it, they just had this huge, um, yeah, they, they had this huge environment where it was constant, everybody was engaging, and people were just so genuinely nice. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they were welcoming. They they were blessing you and just showing you love. And you're kind of in this space where I talked about the fact that I, I'd gone seeking drugs because I was lonely and I never felt mm-hmm. included. Well, suddenly the, that need just completely vanished. Wow. Mm. Well, it wasn't long after that, July the 25th in 1999. Bearing in mind, you've probably been in Australia about four to six weeks here. You said you couldn't sleep and you did business with God. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, look, I was, I mean, it was late night. It was Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I remember it so distinctly. I was lying on the bed and nothing I could do. It was like I was wide awake, but someone or something was keeping me awake. Yeah. You know, I wanted to sleep. I was done with the day. I'd had enough. I'd had fun, whatever else. I was ready to go to sleep, but I wasn't being allowed to go to sleep. And whilst I suppose it's one of these different, really difficult things, I knew that I was at that point because I've been around church for four or five weeks now. Um, So I'd been around enough conversations and seen enough stuff. Whilst nobody had ever pressured me, I knew that what was going on was God was challenging me. And I, I really felt that I was in a position where God was saying, tonight, you have to make a decision. Wow. Mm. And I felt that at that point in time, the decision was entirely mine. Yeah. But I didn't feel I was being pressured in which direction to make a decision. All I felt was pressure that I had to make a decision that night. Wow. Um, and so... I did. I remember I got down on my knees and by this point I'd, I'd read bits and pieces of the Bible. I'd seen bits of my life in a completely different vein through doing so. Uh, and I just prayed and asked God to forgive me. And I, it was the most surreal point in my life because at that point in time, I'm, I'm kneeling on the floor. There's nobody else around there. There's no sound. And I feel what can only be described as if someone had poured warm liquid light over my head. Hmm. And I felt it run literally down over my hair, down over my face, my shoulders, and down over my body. And almost like warm oil being poured over you. But there was, and whilst it felt like it had substance, there was nothing tangible there, if that makes sense. And it was the most incredible feeling I've ever experienced. And I remember it. I mean, the hair stand up on my arms just talking about it. I remember it so distinctly. That has never left me. And it was at that point of doing something as simple as praying and feeling something so completely beyond my ability to have imagined something like that, hmm. that I suppose it cemented the reality of what I kind of stepped into. That's amazing. So you wake up the next morning and how do you feel? Well, next morning, Sunday. So we're going to church. Oh, they fit right in. <laughs> well, so, but this is, this is a really interesting thing. So all of a sudden I'm going to church and my whole perspective of yeah. the entire thing is so different. Yeah. I'm not mm. going to see if I can hide up the back and duck out for a smoke and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Right? <laughs> I'm, uh, and uh, yeah, it was really different. So I kind of decided in my brain, okay, I clearly need to tell people what's happened. Cause I was, per- I was on my own, right? This yeah. was something that happened in complete isolation. I was on my own and I decided, right, I'm going to tell um, Warren, 
I knew I had to tell my aunt and uncle because was sta- not just because I was staying with them, but because obviously they had a, such an impact in yes. bringing me into this space. But I also knew I needed to tell my mom. Yeah. And so mm. I just had this feeling I needed to tell my mom. So I told Warren at the church and I just had this feeling you need, your mom needs to be the next person to know. Good. So that was, that was my, um, my day was sat waiting until my mom was awake so I could call her, so I could tell her what happened. (laughs) And then as soon as I told her, I told my aunt and uncle, um, but it was, it was fantastic because my mom went and was so blown. She just said, wow. And she was so blown away by what I told her. She went away and it impacted her so much that knowing who I was and who she'd put on a plane just a few yeah. weeks earlier to suddenly mm-hmm. hear this from, she she actually went back to church and recommitted her life to church and has been involved in church since that day. Wow. That's awesome. So how is your relationship with your family? How did that change? Oh, well, I mean, so it's been this incredible, it's been an incredible shift, particularly in my relationship with my mom and I. Um, yeah. But I think the, the relationship's changed with all of my family, right? Good. Good. Because I'm different. So my brother, the one, we'll start with him. My brother, who was the one that came to me on Christmas Day and said, don't come home. Yeah. He, he was the best man at my wedding. Yeah. Hmm. Good. And I was in no doubt that he was the right choice and he was the only sure. person that I wanted standing there, right? Um, my mom and I, I have this incredible relationship with my mom where I almost mentor her on her spiritual journey now Wow! because of different things that I've done, ministry activities and things, and I'm constantly reading and studying and doing bits and pieces. And we have this great relationship where I'm, I'm effectively the only person my mom can talk to about her, her faith within our immediate family, her sisters and things go to church. And so she's got a great support network in that regard, but within our immediate family, I'm the only one, Mm. our relationship has shifted to a whole other level. Yeah. Um, my relationship with my dad, he's not all, I mean, he, he talks about being a nominal Christian effectively, but is not actively involved in the church, which is his own journey through things that have happened in his past. But our, our personal relationship has shifted because of the way I respond and act to him has shifted. Mm. You know, as I mentioned, there's things like my own, my comprehension of him never being at home is completely different perception these days because I see it from a different avenue. So as a result, my, my ability to relate to him has shifted. Mm. Mm. Yeah. My little brother and I will sit and we'll we'll call each other and talk on the phone from you know and just randomly from time to time. So I think my relationship with all of my family well, I know my relationship with all of my family is better than it ever was. Yeah. Wow. Bobby, just one thought before we wrap up the show. Were you have you ever been, were you ever tempted to to go back into the drug scene from that moment that you had on the twenty fifth of July when you had that encounter with the Lord? Has it has it been obviously there might be moments, but has it just been like, no, this is just I'm I'm so different now. The Lord's done something in my heart that I no longer desire that life or that lifestyle or anything that, that offers me. Look, I, I would love to say no, but the truth is after my time in Australia, um, not long after this, I actually found and married my wife and we returned to Scotland for four years. Right. And on the plane on the way home. I remember a question being in my mind, is my faith my own or is it borrowed from everyone around me? Mm. Wow, it's a good question. 
So I was going from a place where I was surrounded by people who were immersed in and living a fully Christian life back to an environment where people were living with this drug culture and all this kind of stuff, right? Because yeah, yeah. I, I've been away a year. It wasn't like the whole world has shifted. It was me mm. that had shifted, not the world. Mm. Um, and if I'm perfectly honest, the next three years were a battle between my old self and my new self. Yeah. And whilst every time I engaged in the practices of my old self, which I'm going to be perfectly honest, I did, um, they felt empty. You know, there was an emptiness to it. So what once was this great experience now just left me feeling empty. Wow. And so bit by bit, I, the old self died. I mean, the Bible talks about yeah. put your old self to death. It was literally a three-year journey of killing off my old self hmm. and coming to the point where I recognized that, yes, my faith is my own. My journey with God is a personal one for me. And I would, I came to the point where I fundamentally choose that over all of that past. As we wrap up the show for this week, Bobby, it'd be really good if you had three or four key points for men as they listen, they may, they may be on the same journey you were on. You know, they may be, in, they're obviously in their own journey. They may not be of faith. Give me three or four key messages that we can leave with men today the first would definitely be no matter what the enemy or the world may make you think you are never alone you may feel alone at times and if you are feeling alone reach out and connect with some of the groups some of the people around go to a local church or something like that one of these places where there are people who will invite you in they will engage with you if you've fallen into like i did um into taking drugs and all these types of things it doesn't matter how much you kid yourself that you're in charge and you've got this under control the truth is that as soon as you get into that space and it gets his fingers into you, it's got you. And you'll know that by, if you're, if you can't go without it, it's got you go and get help because it's, it, it is a downward spiral and you might not be at the bottom yet, but it's only a matter of time if you don't get help. Um, and the third I would say is there is loads and loads of stuff out there that can help you, but none will help you more than Jesus. That's great. I mean, that's, there's nothing more to be said after that. That's a great, great way to end the show. I, I just want to add on to that, Bobby, thank you for being so open and transparent over the last couple of weeks. Um, I know it's been a long-winded story and we've teased it a little while throughout the show, but I think it's been worth getting the context of the different stages of the journey that's led to this place and i almost feel like we've still got another show in us about where you've gone from that moment to where you are now which is you know another 20-year journey but we'll have to wrap it up there but um thank you for sharing your story bobby we appreciate that and for men listening again um, you know one of the key things that stands out from your story and you mentioned this that in a room full of people who are all getting high and doing drugs you still felt entirely alone and so I just want to reach out to men today. And if you're in a space where you feel alone, point you to the Momentum Care Line, 1-800-000-636. That's 1-800-000-MEN. Uh, ring the care line if you need to. Have a conversation. Maybe it's about aloneness. Maybe it's about a drug issue. Maybe it's about something else that's happening in your life. 
do not do life alone. People do care. People want to get connected to you. So open yourself up to connection. 1-800-000-MEN is the care line. Or another place, you know, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, there's there's several places, but do not do life on your own. Also, I want to encourage you to check out the website, MomentumAustralia.org. You can hear the first part of Bobby's story on there and other episodes as well. And my thanks again to Bobby and Des for an incredible couple of weeks. Really appreciate your story. And we'll look forward to having you back on Momentum next time. Until then, you take care. God bless. You've been listening to Momentum, a show that helps men succeed in life. For more information or to hear this week's show again, go to MomentumAustralia.org. You can also access a whole range of resources to help you on your journey and to get in touch with the team at MomentumAustralia.org. Until next time, keep moving forward with Momentum.